The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Afternoons with Mike here on the Shepherd Radio Network. Oh, it's so good to be with you each and every day. And on the line with me, I've got my friend Dave Zanotti. Dave, first program together for 2023. It's a brand new year. Can you believe it? I, sure, I can. I feel it, uh, <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be with you, Mike. Always, uh, I will always try in every pro- program we're together to remind your listeners that you are my wife's favorite radio program, uh, and, and uh, I, I deal with that in my own household. Uh, so she'll be excited to be listening, uh, and of course, everyone knows what fans we are of the entire Mark Radio Network and how we pray for you and appreciate the vision. Uh, that you bring to communications and to media in America. It's important. Well, thank you for that. I'm humbled by that, and I I really enjoy spending time with you. And uh, even before we began recording this program, uh, uh, you and I were talking about the early days that I became familiar of the public square, which dates back to 2015. And I was in Gainesville, and our mutual now-departed friend Gary Meeks started telling me about this program, The Public Square, and Gary was very high on this novel, was very novel to me at that point in time, and I think you do still bring a unique angle and a unique view on a public policy, and, and yet all in the bounds of a strong, very, very orthodox in the sense of conservatism, uh, but a very strong evangelical voice. Uh, on the radio, and it's all packaged together with humor and and all of these knowledgeable people that sit around this roundtable of the American Policy Roundtable, including Wayne Shepherd, who you introduced me to, who I just love, broadcast pro extraordinaire, and the legend, the legend, the legend. That's right. Oh my goodness. So this has been for me, Dave, getting all of this uh, time with you over the past couple of years. A real pleasure and an unexpected favor of God. And I'm grateful for that, my friend. So thank you for your words. And they are uh, certainly held mutually in my heart for you and Debbie and uh, and the rest of the crew with uh, the policy, uh, American Policy Roundtable. I'm just so grateful to spend this time. 2023 is, um, for some, has been now looked on as a year of hope. But honestly, for those that have not liked the way things have gone in Washington the last couple of years, it's not getting off to exactly what you would think a solid start would look like, right? <laughs> well, it's a, it's an excellent question that you bring. Uh, that's the right place to start. And since it's a new year, let's 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 lay one foundational uh, scripture uh, down for our conversations, and it's one that we're very familiar with, but many of us read it differently. And what I mean by that is, we're about to read the words of the Great Commission. Uh, and if I ask most people listening today who are familiar with Protestant or Evangelical Church what the Great Commission is, they'll pretty quickly say, "Go and preach the gospel," or they'll come up with some a very close to direct quote version of a part of the Great Commission. But we've discovered over the years that 
we start the verse in the wrong place. Because in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18, it says, Jesus comes and he speaks to his followers after his resurrection and prior to his ascension. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you all the days, even to the very end of the age. Now, the reason that it's problematic if we start in the middle of the Great Commission, but don't start with the entirety of Jesus' thought, if we just begin with go and make disciples of all the nations, we've lost what Jesus put before the therefore. His authority. The moral authority Mm -hmm. for that question resides in the fact that Jesus, the resurrected Christ of God, the Word of God made flesh, the Son of God come to earth, states to us, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Therefore, go. Now that changes everything about the marching orders because it changes the territory. All authority belongs to Christ. Now that's not an easy contest if you're talking with objective eight-year-olds or 10 or 12-year-olds, and you simply present the reality of the testimony of Christ as the Messiah in fulfillment of prophecy who died on the cross and rose from the dead. Because an honest 8, 10, or 12-year-old is going to tell you they don't know anybody else who's ever risen from the dead. In fact, they don't know anybody else who's ever claimed to be risen from the dead. So if, in fact, he is risen from the dead, then he commands the singular most important authority in the human experience. And that's what this commission explains to us. Yes, in fact, he did, he is, and he still remains the source of all moral authority, of all authority, of every form, over every sphere of life, every arena of life, over every human life, over the context of every life, Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, he's not competing to be Lord. He's not waiting for the election results. He's not hoping for a change in the weather. He is. He is Lord. And this is the premise upon which we approach the realm of discussion public policy. We're not trying to invent anything. We're not trying to um, create something. What we're trying to do is to discover what the risen Lord of the universe has to say about how we live every day and then listen to him and pray for the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit to obey him no matter where we're at. And this is the thing I love about your radio program and about the Mark Radio Network. It reaches people who do all kinds of things for a living. It reaches people in all kinds of places where they live. And it brings the reality of the Lordship of Christ and the opportunity to see every inch of our lives as territory to glorify him. You know, you bring up this wonderful point about uh, the APR's charge, if you will, 
to keep that in mind, but that is really every believer's position as well, isn't it? That we're called what, by God to, to represent him and to go and to take the gospel, yes, but not just to, to take a, a bunch of ideas or a bunch of maybe uh, this could work, but to take that authority and the way that he lined it out and to represent him. I mean, that is something that is so important to the ongoing work of the church is that we represent his authority. Our job is to teach Jesus and all that he teaches. Now, the best lessons in life are caught, not taught. So the reality is that our, our, every breath we take should be a breath of life. Now, you say that's a highly noble uh, goal. You don't know how I breathe, <laughs> and you don't know where I breathe, and you don't know where I live. Yeah, but he does. And that's why this is such an amazing uh, uh, commission, because the word all is repeated over and over and over again. All authority has been given unto me. Then, therefore, go to all the nations, teaching them all that I have commanded you, and I am with you all the days. That word is repeated four times by design, and all is the simple little Greek root word, P-A-S, transliterated in English, pas. And as you, as a pastor, would know, all means all. Yes, it does. I've heard that kind of a description on words like that. In the Greek, it means all. It's everything. That's right. And we're not given that time. And you know, our founding fathers understood that authority. And that's something that I know it has to be the bane of every a person that is a secularist in Washington has to be uh, something that just bugs them to death. Every day they go to, uh, to their offices and they see the signs of our former leadership of this country back, the founders of this country, their heart, their belief that there was a God who was the owner of all authority. And, and I know they would love to just pull some of those memorials off the walls, wouldn't they? Well, the one they like to get rid of the most is the Declaration of Independence, and that's the platform document um, uh, for the the American Policy Roundtable, is that when people ask us, what is it that you want as a public policy organization? Well, we want the Declaration and the Constitution. That's what we want. And they say, that's it? Where's your other agenda? No, it's right here. This is what we want. Because as you as you rightly have discerned, we have left those first principles and forsaken the first love of liberty that our founders shared. Uh, and, and the reason that we've lost that love of liberty is because we've lost light of reality. We hold these truths to be self-evident, said the framers and the founders of our declaration. They didn't say we made them up. They said we discovered them. We, we, we hold these truths to be self-evident. That means we're in consensus. These things are as plain as the nose on our faith. On our face, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. The recognition of the creator, that we are not alone in the universe, that there is a moral authority over our heads, that they call the creator in the beginning of the document and then call the judge of the world, the supreme judge of the world, at the end of the document. They recognize that they came here because of God's existence. Nobody brought themselves here. And they would ultimately stand before him at the end of their lives. That's what makes people really nervous in Washington. The concept of where did you come from 
And where are you going to end up? Uh, That's like, those are like the lines in the batter's box. And boy, they want to remove those as quick as they can. Yep, they do. And they've got to have room for their swinging. That's their mindset. So they've got to do it their way. But we can't because we, there is one who knows more. There's one who holds more. And that's the one that we need to line ourselves up. And it's just such that right now, a lot of the leaders in our country right now have completely rejected the notion of everything that those founders believed and held dear in their hearts. And we have done a pretty good job in America of laying down to their desires in our schools. And we have these generations of kids, the last couple of generations have grown up so much so, Dave, that this is the challenge that's out there. And were it not for the fact that God is still God, and we all know that, it could be very dis- depressing if you didn't have hope. Uh, well, it, you, yeah. If, I mean, if God ever loses his sense of humor, we're in trouble. <laughs> well said. Well said. That's right. But he is still God. And at the end of the day, I know, Dave, I have to, I have to sometimes remind myself of this whole thing too. I can get, I can look at stuff that's going on. It's like my, my blood pressure starts to rise. Everything is going on. And, and I have to stop and say, and my wife is so good for me in this. She's able to say, honey, well, let's just pray. Uh, oh, oh yeah, that's what we all need to do. We have to have each other to remind each other of the fact that we all serve one who is the holder of that authority of which you speak. Uh, you know, it's God does have a sense of humor, Mike. You can't read exchanges in the Bible like the conversations between God and Moses and not laugh. I mean, there's some of the funniest scenes in the Bible. Now, it doesn't make them less serious or less life-changing, but there is a humor in God's grace. In fact, uh, G.K. Chesterton, at the end of his book, Orthodoxy, wrote in a single page that he thought the secret power of Jesus, and I'm paraphrasing, so for Chesterton folks, forgive me, that the secret power of Jesus, the one that never was fully revealed while he was here on earth, was his mirth. The idea that because he did indeed know what was coming next, he could keep a smile on his face. Now, for some folks, you mentioned the secularists in Washington, D.C. This conversation drives them crazy because they quickly jump to their talking points of Christian dominionism or something like that. You know, that's not what we're talking about today, and it's not what the founders were talking about on the, in the Declaration or the Constitution. They were not talking about establishing anything to please an angry God or a God who was in competition with others or who needed their help. They were acknowledging, plain and simple, that there is a creator and we are not him. And to order ourselves with the natural order of the universe as we find it, not as we want to reinvent it, just makes sense. And so that's where we're coming from. We're coming from a biblical ethic uh, walked out in the person of Christ. We have a, a, a motto over our doorstep at the American Mission Center. And that motto is from the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 17. He, speaking of Jesus, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So that's why we're falling apart. Because by and large, in our country today, we've forgotten about him. 
And yet he is the foundation. He is the holder of all authority. And, you know, I think about how far we've fallen from those early ideals that were not just ideals. They were not human ideals. They were things given down from God to us as gifts, really gifts for our life, wisdom from on high. Yeah. Truth and reality. I mean, the self-evident truth is that, look, we know what reality is. And this is our problem today. We've lost touch with truth. Therefore, we've lost touch with reality. And that's all around us. It's it's so blatant now that, I mean, it, it's just people just, it's not even an argument. They just look at each other and scratch their heads and said and say, I don't know how we got here. Well, yeah, I do. A lot of people know how we got here. People have been writing about it since the, the since the the fifties, the since in some cases since the eighteen fifties, that if you walk away from the revelation of the God of the Bible, you you move into a realm where you, of moral relativism, where there is no longer transcendent truth, and eventually you get to the place where you're making it all up, and that's basically where we are right now. We're back to the Middle Ages, even the Dark Ages, where. You have an opinion, and if you have enough power, your your opinion prevails. So we're we're back to to a realm where might makes right, right. Yeah, and I uh, I love the description that's given in the book of Acts about how that uh, those that would sit around and discuss the opinions of the day and talk about what was going on then. I mean, that seems to be the gospel that so many secularists are are, are really worried about. It's what they think today what is important today. And we're seeing that play out, unfortunately, right before our very eyes all over again. And it's kind of a head scratcher, really, when you think about it. And I know that there's a lot of people who are wondering what in the world is going to happen. But we'll talk about all of that in a moment. I've got Dave Zanotti with me. Dave is the president of the Public Square American Policy Roundtable, the host of this program that we carry here right on the Shepherd Radio Network all across the network a couple of times a day. And uh, I just so enjoy his being with me. We'll be right back after this. You're with Afternoons with Mike. EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat serves all your comfort needs. With over 40 years experience, EC Waters is a top train comfort specialist, earning customers for life with integrity. No wonder EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat has earned a 4.6 or higher out of 5 rating and reviews across all major online platforms. For all your comfort needs, call 407-603-9144 or visit ecwaters.com. Dave Zanotti from the Public Square is my guest today here in this early 2023 program of Afternoons with Mike. We are heard daily, by the way, if you've just tuned in for the very first time. Heard in Orlando, Ocala, the Villages, and in Gainesville on the Shepherd Radio Network. Dave Zanotti, I look at Washington right now, and just when you think things couldn't get any crazier, when you think that (laughs) things couldn't be any more confusing, you have what is shaping up to be a debacle in this selection of who is going to be the Speaker of the House. And I've even read reports, I don't know whether to believe this or not, I'm hoping that this is hyperbole. But I read a report that one of our own delegates from Florida made a comment that was a a kind of a flippant off, I believe, off the cuff comment that he didn't he didn't care if even a Democrat were the leader, the speaker of the House. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking that is certainly 
the craziest thing if I've ever heard. Why would someone ever say something like that? What do you make of all of this that's going on right now? I'm so anxious to hear your thoughts. Well, again, coming at the realm of public policy from a, a, a commitment to try, and I'm not suggesting we suggest, uh, that we succeed here, but trying to come at this from a perspective of biblical truth and biblical worldview uh, has brought us to a difficult position. As you well know, and I know the leadership of Mark Radio knows, um, we are not the traditional or the normative organization speaking into the realm of public policy because we refuse to pick sides between the two existing political parties. Now, that's not because we don't have the courage to take sides. Uh, it also isn't because we haven't done our homework. But the scripture is quite clear that God hates some things. Yeah, the, the words there in the text, God hates some things. And one of the things he hates the most is agencies, actions that cause discord among brethren. That's the premise of why political parties exist, to defeat someone else and maintain power and control. Everywhere political parties go, discord follows. It's inevitable. Now, this is not to say that people shouldn't have the right of association and that inevitably people will gather and call themselves a committee or a group or whatever word they're going to use to facilitate communication and to get on the same page. But we're way, way, way past that in America today. We are so far away from where George Washington and John Adams warned us the boundary lines were. They warned us that political parties are dangerous. Washington called this kind of partisanship a dangerous fire. They warned us that the worst thing that could happen to our country is for our federal system to be a contest between two competing political powers or parties. And that is precisely what we are today. Now, what are those parties competing over? If you think it's abortion, you're wrong. If you think it's tax policy, you're wrong. If you think it's the LGBTQ agenda, that's a wrong idea. What these political parties are competing over is the control of the federal budget, which is close to $5 trillion every single year. 535 people get to divide that up, Mike. And those are the most powerful people in America, the House and the Senate. And they have established through their party structures a corporate reality, an identity and a reality. They're business brokers. And while we think they're caring about issues like roads and infrastructure and IRS agents and taxes and all that stuff, they're really concerned and consumed with meeting with lobbyists, meeting with corporate organizations, meeting with heads of major multinational organizations, and making sure that everybody has their piece of the pie in return for all of those agencies' support for their political party. The Democrats do it. The Republicans do it. When the Democrats are in control, they have a bigger piece of the pie. When the Republicans are in control, they have a bigger piece of the pie. But you'll notice that the pie is always the same flavor. It's always more debt, more spending, more burden, more taxation. 
Those who say that we're living in the world of a uniparty are correct in the sense that the general direction of our government is control of the budget. Now, that's maddening. That's not what we were designed to do. That's not the way this Constitution is supposed to work. It's what we have permitted to happen by permitting power to be accumulated at the top of the pyramid instead of the bottom where it belongs. And so these political parties both now are corporate agencies. They work in cahoots all the time. And so all of this great big drama about who's going to be the Speaker of the House, it doesn't matter who the Speaker of the House is going to be to a degree. The Congress does not have, the House does not have substantive majorities on either side. You're going to see the status quo continue, but for a few exceptions, which will be great to have those exceptions, but it will be the status quo as it is, and the competition will be who's going to give the most money to the Republican Party because they're in the slim majority right now and they control the budgetary decisions. Now, I hate to be so um, honest about this. I'm sorry. I, 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 maybe honest isn't the word. What I wanted to say is I hate to be so pagan. People have this myth, mystified, mythologized, or whatever, come up with a word. I'll make that one up. That there's some huge level of nobility in Washington, D.C., and that these crusaders are going there for truth and justice in the American way. And a lot of them do go up there. And they hit a brick wall within the first 30 days and realize, oh my gosh, this is a big corporation. Then they spend the rest of their political careers trying to justify what they know to be true versus what they're saying on the campaign trail. Now, this is the way Washington works, and it is a desperate situation, but not a hopeless one. It is desperate, but it is not hopeless. But to think that one party or the other is going to be the agency whereby America will find deliverance from this bondage to bureaucracy is a foolish, foolish thought. It doesn't work that way, friends. It's not, we, we have to have independent thinking people go to Washington, D.C., whether they're Democrats, Republicans, independents, or Martians, doesn't mean anything. The label on their paperwork matters not at all. What matters is that they say, you know what? This government is too large. The tax burden is too big. The debt is obscene, and we must come to terms and repent with the foolishness of the size and scope of our federal government, and we must bring this thing back into order and into reason and into balance. We've got to stop lying to ourselves that the federal government is the answer, because it's not. I remember the words of Reagan when he said, uh, the answer is not in the government, the government's the problem. And we are, we've seen that really play out freshly in the last couple of years because how many $1.7 trillion uh, spending packages can we introduce before we bankrupt ourselves so completely that we'll never get back? Well, we're, we're not just bankrupt right now economically. We're bankrupt spiritually and we're bankrupt practically. Um, if, if we could ever get a full audit on how the COVID money alone was spent, we would be shocked. I'm aware of a county in Tennessee that is one of these counties that is viewed economically in mass as below the poverty level. So all the kids that go to public school get free lunch and free breakfast. Now, okay, that's it. The government has decided, the federal government has decided, if your county's poor enough, it's their responsibility to pay for the children, to feed the children that go to public school. 
Now, some people think that's noble and that's wonderful. I think it's abominable when the federal government takes over the role of a parent. What's that tell, what's that tell parents? It's not your job anymore. Well, if it's not your job to provide for your own family, you're in direct contradiction from the Scripture. The Scripture says, if you don't provide for your own, you're worse than an infidel. Right. If a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. But we so see that their willingness to do that is also seen in, in their taking over uh, even knowledge about things like the gender issue and all of well, the stuff well, that's going on with that. Well, stick, me, stick with me just a second on the COVID thing, because what happened was when COVID happened and nobody went to school, that meant nobody got fed. The kids didn't get their meals. So the brilliant bureaucracy from Washington, D.C. decided to send them all amended welfare cards. So every kid in the public school system in one entire county got money on welfare gift cards for several months. Oh, my goodness. Yes, that meant every kid. That meant the kids whose parents were living below the poverty level or at it, including the kids whose parents were millionaires. It was just too complicated to go ahead and do a means testing in the midst of a pandemic. So everybody got the welfare lunch and and breakfast money. Now, this is how stupid we've become. But you don't hear any about that. No, no, not at all. And this is the way our government works. We've created a permanent underclass where multiple generations now realize they can make the equivalent of $50,000 a year after taxes, sitting at home, collecting benefits. Yeah. Let's put that in the founding formula of America. Not a chance. Not a chance. Not a chance. And then add to that the whole thing that you don't hear a lot about right now because it's gotten held up time after time after time, but the whole desire to kind of just write off all the student loan debt. That's also a a mega billion toddler type of a proposition, and uh, it keeps bumping into problems, but that uh, just one more silly idea that's come up that just seems to just put out personal responsibility right out the window. Uh, and, and, And this is the key is to understand our place in the universe because there is a creator. He's got designs on how things should work here. And when we conform to the order of the creator, whether it's in science or in relationships, we're in line with reality. And ultimately, we'll be judged for how well we align with that reality of his revelation on earth. Now, that revelation isn't just a bunch of do's and don'ts. This is what's so different. The creator of which the founder spoke is a personal creator who from the beginning has built personal relationships with his creation by his choice because God loves this world and he loves everyone in this world. Now, he loves us so much that he gave us free will and he'll let us go to hell if we choose but he's not happy about it. He did everything you could even imagine, expect, and and light years more right, to make his revelation of redemption real. And that's still on the door for every person, still standing in the doorway, knocking is Jesus the Christ, saying, I'll come in in fellowship with you. We'll have dinner together. We'll talk. This is the God of the universe. And this is, this is what the framers and the founders understood. Now, they weren't all dynamic evangelicals. They weren't all perfect. They, they had plenty of sins and mistakes in their lives, but they were falling down in the right direction. 
and getting up and trying to do it better. That's well said, Dave. Falling down in the right direction. Wow. Yeah, these are times right now where we can clearly see people have fallen down, <laughs> but it's not yeah, in the right direction. <laughs> so let's talk about this whole fight about the speakership. And it's fair. Now, now that we've got a platform set of where we're coming from, that this is not, it's not the typical the typical shirts and skins, uh, red states versus blue states nonsense. That's all nonsense. Because at the end of the day, we're all people. And we're all Americans. And we all drive the same roads. We all breathe the same air. We all drink the same water. There ought to be a unanimity, a brotherhood and sisterhood amongst us. That out of many, we become one people for the common good. That's the concept of why we're here. So you got a problem of leadership because you got parties that are trying to control the budget and they're making it out like it's a masquerade about who's the good guys and who's the bad guys. Look, at this stage in the game, um, Congress in mass is a bad guy. Now, there are individual good guys and gals and, and inside that body, inside that unit, and they're from both parties, they're from all parties. They're, 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 there are good people there. But right now, the body itself is in a bad spot. And so we're getting the window of look into the conflict inside the Republican Party. Now, that's kind of interesting because uh, it's the same problem that the Democrats are having. The Democrats are divided into about three different groups, three parties inside one, so are the Republicans. And that fight is now being played out. If the Democrats were in a position of taking the leadership, that same fight would also have played out. You just would have seen, wouldn't have seen it. it would have been done in private. Because the, the Democrats are far more mainlined on who pays for them. And so they get their stuff done behind closed doors and then come out unified. But believe me, they fight like crazy behind the scenes. But this fight on the Republican side has become very public. Okay, and and it's, uh, it, it prob- it, it's going to be resolved. Uh, and, and who knows, there may be more than one speaker in the next two years or next four years. Kevin McCarthy may get in and, and, and get out. Uh, who, whoever gets in ultimately get, may get bounced out. But the point is the Republican Party is divided up among three different agencies easily. And that's the, that's the problem that we're seeing right now playing out in, in real time. With uh, 20 people, basically it's, it's come down to 20 people. There, he can only afford to have four of the Republicans um, basically be against him or, or we're never going to reach that 218 mark. How soon do you see that working out? Do you think it's going to happen this week at all? Well, it's got to it's got to be resolved. It may be resolved by the time we get on the air with this particular program. Um, but the the fact of the matter is, it, even if it is resolved, it won't be fixed, because what you've really got is you've got conservatives in name only, uh, who really are leftist Republicans inside the party. We saw that play out with the uh, disrespect for marriage act that came out in the lame duck session, where twelve Republican senators on their way out in the lame duck session and several of them on their way out of office uh, based upon retirement, uh, pretty much um, gave a very obscene salute to the pro-family movement uh, by betraying all the things that they said they were for for uh, for years in regards to the concept of the defense of traditional marriage. And, and Congress has done that by and large, realizing that in fact it was, it was just 1996 when there was a Defense of Marriage Act defining marriage as between a man and a woman passed by bipartisan supermajorities in the House and Senate and signed by Bill Clinton. 
Uh, and Congress has flipped on that, simply yielding to public opinion polls um, and to what the popular people in Hollywood and um, the major media corporations want Congress to act like. So Republicans had been sort of a standout against that. But then what we found out is in the Senate, you only have 100 members. So if you have 50, you got half, and that's a big deal. Well, if 12 of the 50 decide to sort of uh, tell you to take a hike and they're going to betray you on marriage, you're done. And that's exactly what they did, because that's exactly what was in their hearts the whole time. Let's pick this and, up in the next segment. I'm up against a break. Sure. Dave Zanotti's with me. Dave Zanotti from the Public Square. We'll be back with Dave in just a moment. This is Afternoons with Mike. Palm Beach Atlantic University, Orlando, offers three distinct areas of study. An evening Master's of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling, an evening Bachelor's of Science in Human Services, and our new Daytime Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. All of our courses are offered at our beautiful campus on Millennia Boulevard. For more information or to schedule a tour, call 844-PBA-ORLANDO. That's 844-PBA-ORLANDO. Segment three here with Dave Zanotti from the Public Square. We were talking at the uh, end of segment two, Dave, about where we are right now. And I, I don't want to lose all of your thoughts on that. So let's let's continue on with that discussion. Well, you know, sure. we're, we're, we're talking about something that's got to be resolved. Again, at the time of this recording, it has not been six different votes over two day span. And there's still not enough agreement. In fact, McCarthy won less in the very last election than he had done the day before. Well, this is symbolic of the problem we have, not just at the federal level with the political parties, but also at the state level. And we'll, I'll give you an example of that in a minute. But what you've got is in, in Washington, you have Republicans that are, are radical leftist liberals. They're Republicans. Yeah, they're there. Uh, and, and I can tell you right now, look at the 12 people who voted uh, in regards to marriage in the lame duck session. Now, it breaks my heart to, be, to, to have to, to, to call people out and call them out by name, but you look at people like Tom Tillis from North Carolina and others who betrayed uh, everything that they once stood for and, and gleefully supported that measure as if they were sticking it to somebody. Now, I'm not saying Tom was gleeful. I'm saying that the movement in mass was rather, um, well, it was ugly. Now, why is that? Because these folks don't have a biblical worldview. They are functioning liberals. In fact, they're functioning progressive leftists. Now, they may be conservative when it comes to taxes or spending, but that's convenient. Their worldview is not in the line with the Declaration or the Constitution. They're making it up as they go along, and they've been radically influenced by the left. They represent a significant number in the Republican Party nationally and at the state level. These are folks who are Republican in name only, but see, that's a silly term as well, because what does it mean to be Republican? Where's the statement of faith, the Republican Party? Oh, well, you say, well, that's the platform. Who are we kidding? I can remember the first time I walked out of a Bob Dole for president meeting at some big function, some, I don't know, some consultants thing. And they gave us this big spiel of 1996 about Bob Dole at president. And people said, well, he'll, he'll, he'll be saved by the Republican platform, which is far more conservative than he is. So Bob Dole gets a nomination. Next day, goes on national television and the morning shows and says, the candidate's under no obligation to abide by the party platform. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's all a charade. Okay. I, I, so there are plenty of people who are masquerading 
wanting you to believe that to be a Republican should make you feel comfortable because they're more conservative than the other guys. They may not be conservative at all. That label means nothing. Now, if you've been sired to believe America's a two-party system, that the Republican Party is your answer, either because you give them money and they're supposed to take care of things for you or because you're deeply vested in the Republican Party and trying to make it the agency of your dreams, I apologize for giving you this reality. But if you're going to spend your life trying to make the Republican Party something that is effective according to your worldview, somebody should be honest enough to tell you what you're up against. I was just going to say, when we get that kind of reality worked out in our brain and we see that it's not as simple as, yeah, the Republicans are the good guys and, and those that aren't Republicans are, are the not so good guys. That's saying it nicely. I'm going to leave it at that. But when we see that reality, there's got to be a plan for how you approach right. a fix. Where do sure, you start? And that's exactly the point. But you must start from a base of reality. If you go in thinking, if we just get enough Republicans, that fixes it. That is foolish beyond imagination. Secondly, if you stop talking to everybody else, regardless of whether they're a Democrat, non-aligned, independent, or Martian, then you're basically not obeying that great commission that we started this broadcast with. Mm -hmm. Because we are commanded to teach all that Jesus teaches to all the people. Now you say, well, Democrats don't want to listen. Whoa, whoa, wait a second. I've been in lots of churches filled with Democrats who love Jesus. Well, how can they love Jesus? They're not pro-life. Well, first of all, how do you know that? But secondly, are you sure? Nobody said anybody in any church is perfect. You see my point? Yes, I do. People are people no matter how small. People are people no matter what what label they put on themselves. We're commanded to talk to all people. And part of the reason that we've got the polarization that we have is we bought the wedge strategy propagated to us by Republican consultants all the way back to the 80s, which are use moral issues as wedges in culture to win debates by 51%. Well, I got to tell you something. If you keep using wedge issues and only win by 51%, someday somebody's going to get a cold and you're going to lose by a percent. And in some ways, we we may see that being worked out right now, playing out right before our very eyes. This is why we have the dilemma that we have is because we haven't taught Jesus and all that he teaches to all the people. We should be in the position, ideally, where you could pick a Democrat or a Republican for the Speaker of the House, and it would be marginally about the same. That's what good government looks like because we're one on the things that truly matter. Now, we're a long way from home, but the first thing we've got to recognize is we must repent from this disreality, this fictional notion that America works when it's divided between two parties. America works based upon the consent of the governed, which means we must win the public debate. Well, that shouldn't shock us or frighten us because Jesus says, go to all the people and tell them everything I taught you. We should be people that are most interested in this debate. So you've got to come to terms with reality. We all must. And it's painful because if you spent your whole life because your daddy and mama were Republicans and 
Daddy was an office holder, and and he was, and Mama was a judge, and 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 I've been given to Republicans all my life, and and, the, and where I live, by God, the Republicans, you know, go to church on Sunday morning and do the right thing. Okay, look, that's fine. That's the narrow world of your reality, which I'm not challenging. I'm not saying that's not real, but when you put it out in the ocean of a country of 336 million people, you need a bigger boat. <laughs> That's right. A country in which the young people have really been indoctrinated for years with the thought that there is not a God, that there are no such thing, that there is no such thing as right and wrong as defined by the Bible. So what's going to happen in Washington, D.C. is because ultimately the corporate powers that control their pieces of the budget, who buy and pay for both the Republican Party and the Democrat Party, will basically sit down with the leaders and said, okay, if y'all had enough now, this has been fun. The Democrats have been mocking the Republicans, bringing popcorn into the chamber and beach blankets and sitting down saying, this is more fun than a movie. The Republicans have been playing punch palace with each other because the truth is that the radical left part of the Republican Party despises the right part of the Republican Party. It's awful. It's ugly. It's hateful. And they've been letting that play out in public. That's why those 20 people are hung out to dry because most of the conservatives aren't going, to, aren't going to protect the people who are the most vocal because that's not popular, okay? And so they're going to leave those 20 hang out to try. The 20 that are making the case are making a very simple case. We're sick of things the same they, the way they've always been. We don't trust McCarthy. He's going to get it there. And we've got enough votes to say it can't be him. We just don't have enough votes to say who it can be. So you got a party, a house that's divided, can't stand. So they've got to come up with some answer and the money players will come in and muscle it. They will come in and say, enough is enough. We don't want chaos here. We've all got too much invested in, in the uh, trillions of dollars of the budget and debt. So fix it, and they will, and then we'll go on. But don't think it's going to be some moral virtuous moment of, of, of like the smoke rising from the Vatican and, and uh, an angelic deliverer appear that everyone's going to say, oh my gosh, here's the answer forever. No, this is a fight we're going to be in for the rest of our lives. It's a fight over every member of the House. I admire the 20 people who have the courage of their conviction to say, I was sent here to make the change, and I'm not going to buy in easily. Now, uh, again, I, I admire their courage. I, I, and I, so they're, they're, if that's wrong, okay, I admire their courage. Ultimately, they're going to realize that until they get 200, until there's 200 people in that body, I don't care what party they're a part of, that are willing to stand for truth over money and over power, it's going to be pretty hard sledding. Our job is to get 200 more people up there that have the courage to stand. That's a big job, and yet not too big for, uh, you know, the Lord. I think of Second Chronicles seven fourteen, if my people, that it all begins with that if, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray. And that's really what you're talking about, isn't it? Mike, there's, there's nothing in our system that's a problem today that we didn't let happen. Yeah, it's true. If you trace it back far enough, we did this. We did it to ourselves. And the answer is to accept the personal responsibility that out of 336 million people, you tell me we can't find 200 people that fear God, trust the Constitution and the, and the Declaration as their, as their platform, and would be willing to serve? We couldn't find 200 people in a country of 336 million that love freedom and liberty enough that they'd be willing to go ahead and be responsible. 
Yeah, there's something that's got to happen with the hearts of the voters, and we've seen that lay out. Uh, it, it begins with getting involved, as you said. It, 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 yes, not everybody's going to go. Not everybody's going to be one of those 200, but everybody can begin by being part of the voting process and not stay at home like what we've seen in some critical elections where the fact that people just didn't bother to go vote made the difference in people going into office that do not care. In fact, they're enemies of the very things that we've been talking about that we need to stand for. And we've just laid down. I I go back, Dave, I remember that picture that you painted over COVID when you said, when we as a people laid down, we just kind of laid down in front of this machine that was moving over us called COVID-19 and the lockdowns and the giving up of rights. We've got to stop laying down. Yeah, Mike, I can't forget if someone said to me, looking back at your life, what what regrets do you have? I, I Well, first off, every regret and sin I've committed, I'd like to confess to God and get forgiveness for through the person of Christ, because I've done many. I'm no, no perfect person, so I got plenty of things I wish I hadn't done. Uh, but again, I believe in falling down in the right direction. I think that's what the scripture teaches. You got to get up and keep going, because none of us are perfect. But one of the greatest regrets that I have in my lifetime was when the Christian church in America permitted the government to cancel Easter. And we went along with it. So instead of coming together to worship the living God, whose son is risen from the dead, the best excuse we could come up with was, well, we don't want to meet together because we might get sick. Excuse me, your boss rose from the dead. And you're afraid he can't keep you healthy enough for an hour to worship him? That is well said. And may that never happen again. And I think from what I've heard, a lot of churches, a lot of leaders of churches have said it's not going to ever happen in their church again. Well, if God gives us a second chance or a third chance or a fourth chance, because he's awfully gracious, we've got to wake up and understand that The bad news is we have to change our lifestyles and put public service back in our understanding of love of neighbor. What does that mean? Well, you know what? It means you got to run for office. It means you got to go to some meetings. It means you got to decide maybe you have to give up your bowling league so you can become a member of your city council. And you can actually, instead of, you know, look, bowling's fun. Bowling league's great. But maybe maybe it's your softball league. Maybe that's hard. But maybe it's time to give up some things. Maybe you got to tell your kids, you know, we're not going to do 14 sets of lessons this year for you because mom is going to run for the school board. Dad's going to be a member of city council or or somebody's going to run for local mayor or we're going to work to support these people. And and so guess what? We're not going to take the vacation we plan on taking because we're going to give that money to some people who are trying to change our town for the better. We have to pull the power down out of Washington, D.C., and start to serve so well at the local and state level that people suddenly realize that freedom carries responsibility. But once you get the trash taken out, once you get that stuff, you sleep so much better at night because you don't have a tax bill coming at you because of the people that you gave power to who couldn't get the job done from where they live anyways. And that that is a great starting place right there where we can do it. Dave Zanotti, it's been great having you on today. We wish you a happy new year. My friend, thank you so much. Give us your website, how people can help maybe contribute to the public square. 
You can always find us at thepublicsquare.com. It's that simple, thepublicsquare.com. And thank you for listening to the Shepherd Radio Network, where we get to be together every day. All right, my friend, thank you. And friends, we'll see you next time right here on Afternoons with Mike.